I'm answering five questions from PokerForge members today about things like what to do if you're short on poker time, how to differentiate winners from losers, their skill sets actually, and maybe some analysis into pre-flop and post-flop tendencies. It's study time, y'all. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your coach, Sky Matsuhashi. Let's get you learning and taking action. I've been looking forward to today's podcast because about a week ago, I asked PokerForge members to submit their questions, and I got some really good questions from them, five for this podcast, right? So I'm going to answer those questions, Um, and uh, some of these questions really got me thinking, right? And one of them actually got me to make a new video showing how to run a population tendency report in Poker Tracker 4 so you can start analyzing your various types of opponents. And not just analyze and look at their numbers and stuff, but in the video, I actually show you how to interpret the numbers. And I give you really five or really five really good interpretations of the numbers that I found and also lessons to take away how you can exploit these players on the felt. So you have to go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod three, six, four. So you can watch that video for yourself. It's embedded right there for you from YouTube, of course. Um, but before we get to the poker content, one last thing to share with you. Right now, this week, up until November 12th at midnight, is the Better Than Black Friday sale. So it's better than Black Friday because I am offering you 60% off an annual membership at the Poker Forge. In about two weeks during the week of Black Friday, I'm just going to offer a 50% deal. So for all you early birds, for all you uh, uh, eager early turkeys out there, before Thanksgiving, before Black Friday, get in on annual Poker Forge membership right now, 60% off. A crazy $360 savings, which is practically a full bankroll for someone at 10 and L. You know what I'm saying? saying so go to the pokerforge.com right now to upgrade from a current monthly or quarterly membership or join as an annual member and save 60 percent the pokerforge.com okay let's get to it gambate everybody just stay calm i can handle this no problem i know how to deal license and registration please what seems to be the officer problem All right, so question one is about pre-flop and post-flop tendency correlation, and it's from PokerForge member Adam. He says he plays on GG Poker, uh, and he says, I am limited to their built-in HUD, which only has VPIT, PFR, attempt to steal, and 3-bet. It's enough for the basic player types, nits, fish, tags, and lags, to understand those types. Are these pre-flop stats strongly correlated with post-flop behavior? And is there any way I can confirm it using a population analysis in Poker Tracker 4? Great question, Adam. So here's my answer. In general, yes, pre-flop tendencies correlate to post-flop tendencies. For example, fish love calling to see flops because they want to catch flushes and straights and sets and stuff, right? Um, and so that's their intention pre-flop. So as soon as they hit their draw of any straight, any flush, they're going to keep calling because ultimately that was their initial goal when they saw that 10-7 suited. Um, uh, 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 Tweety birds flashed over their head and and stars went off and, the, the, and, and, you know, dollar signs popped up in their eyeballs. All that crazy cartoon stuff that you're used to, right? They see the magic in that hand. They want to hit the straight. They want to hit the flush. So they are not going to be folding post-flop just like they're not folding pre-flop because they want to hit that hand, right? Now, if you think about tight aggressive players, 
Mm. They fold a ton pre-flop because they want that positional advantage. They want that range advantage. So they try to come in with the stronger hands. And so they actually fold a lot post-flop as well. When they have a subpar hand, a weaker kind of draw, no hand, a king high hand whatsoever, they often just exit and just wait for a better spot to get in to, to see the flop against somebody else with a stronger hand. And if we think about loose aggressive players, they just play lots of hands and they raise and they steal a lot pre-flop. So they kind of continue this, like they're accustomed, they're used to, they enjoy putting pressure on, the, on their opponents. So they continue putting that pressure, especially on the flop, but quite often on the turn and then potentially on the river as well, depending on the type of loose aggressive opponent that you're up against, right? Because... Um, what was it called? GG poker gives you VPIP, PFR, and three bet in an attempt to steal. That is going to get you, or it's going to allow you to make pretty good reads on the type of player that you're up against pre-flop. So you should be able to, even if you don't know their post-flop tendencies and you don't want to assume that they follow along from pre-flop to post-flop, you at least have a good read on their pre-flop tendencies. So you should be able to put them on a range of hands pre-flop. And then once that flop hits, you gauge how that range interacts with the board. And now you're playing not just against their player type, but you're playing against their range of hands that you put them on and how it interacts with the board. So you don't necessarily really need to know how they play post-flop in order to still exploit them. And as always, when you're playing, it doesn't matter if you don't know any of their post-flop stats, you have to pay attention to their actions and their bet sizes and always ask and answer poker's ultimate question. What are they doing this with? Now, like I said before, I created a whole new video about uh, creating a population tendency report and then interpreting and analyzing those numbers. And from what I found in this report, I think that population tendency or, or the report shows that uh, pre-flop actions do correlate to post-flop play. But here's the thing. You have to consider how they got to that post-flop spot. Context is really, really important. Because if you go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod 364, you're going to watch the videos, but there's also some screenshots there. And you're going to see, for example, tight aggressive players, their fold to flop C-bet is 55%. Fishy players their fold-to-flop c-bet is 55.5%. Holy cow! They fold exactly the same, right? Well, yes, they fold at the same percentage or at the same tendency at the same frequency, but that does not mean they're folding with the same strength hands. If you think about it, fold-to-flop c-bet, for both of them, roughly 55%, right? What hands are they folding? Well, in the... in the population reports that you're going to see in the show notes page, you can see that tight aggressive players, they call pre-flop only 9% of the time. Fishy players call 37% of the time. So while the while they are folding both at 55%, because those fishy players have much wider and weaker ranges, they fold the same percentage, but when they continue, they're continuing with wider and weaker ranges. They're continuing with tons of call, I'm sorry, uh, uh, tons of draws, tons of weaker hands, third pair hands, all that kind of stuff. So while those percentages are the, song, the same, like I said, you need to look at that context. And the fact that tight aggressive players 
call preflop only 9% of the time, it makes sense that when they continue, they're going to have a greater proportion of one pair hands or better or the best kind of draws in their range as opposed to those fishy players who got there and faced the seabet with super weak hands. All right, so that was a long first question or a long first answer, I guess I should say. And uh, (laughs) thanks again so much for that question, Adam. So question two comes from Zuki. And uh, Zuki says, what would be the main differences, maybe skill sets of players who have winning results such as 0 to 5 big blinds per 100, 10 to 15, and 20 big blinds or more? And thank you very much, Zuki, for that question. Now, here's the thing. I've never tried to break it down by different winning win rates, different uh, sets of win rates, right? 0 to 5, 5 to 10, stuff like that. But I think that the best players, those that can get the positive 5, the positive 10, the positive 20 big blinds per 100 hands over large samples, they do things way better than those slightly winning players, right? The first thing that they do is they play the player. So they know exactly who they're up against. They understand their tendencies, both pre-flop and post-flop. And the best players actively try to exploit their opponent at every opportunity. The weakest players and also the non-winningest players, like slightly winning players, they don't play their opponent as often as they should. Now, the next thing, the next skill set that really good winning players have is hand reading. They put their opponent on a range every single time. They gauge how that range interacts with the flop every single time. Then they narrow their range through the streets based on their actions. Another thing they do... They can value bet, right? So when their hand is ahead of their opponent's range, they're not going to be shy about, you know, making a one-quarter pot, one-third pot, trying to extract a tiny bit of value from their opponent. Also, they're not shy about bluffing at pots, especially when they sense weakness from their opponent. They're going to throw out that one-half, three-quarter pot bet to get them to fold. Speaking of folding, uh, the best players, the most winningest players, they can find the fold. So they know because, like I said already, they're thinking about hand reading, they're playing the player. They often know when they're beat, and they're so quick to fold when they know that they're beat because they've made so many mistakes in the past. They've researched their database. They've found so many bad calls. They understand the mindset of of wanting to call to verify their read, but they've seen it so many times making a bad call. They knew that they were losing, but they made that call just to verify it. Strong players don't need to verify their read anymore. They just find the fold when they know their beat. And probably, probably the last point, but it might be um, a top point. Like this should have been the first thing I mentioned maybe. They could probably kind of control their emotions and they don't get angry when they get sucked out on when their fishy opponents are taking their chips, when they make mistakes, right? They stay in control. They stay in their A game. They don't devolve into their C game like losing players and maybe slightly winning players do. All right, question three is um, from Jim. And he says, I'm having trouble pulling the trigger on river bets after C betting the flop and turn when the villain continues to call. This is in position or out of position. And unless I have the nuts or something super strong, I feel many times that I'm value-owning myself. And many times that has been the case. How might I narrow down the villain's range to more clearly know when to triple barrel? I hand-read often, but I might be too liberal with ranging opponents through the streets. 
Great question, Jim. So first, in your Poker Tracker 4 database, very simple. I want you to um, uh, filter for River Seabet. Now, if you're profitable, awesome. That means you're doing the right thing for the most part, right? Mine is at uh, positive 1,972 per 100 hands. It's actually a really high win rate, right? But if you're negative or if your win rate's really low, like positive 200 or 300, um, you definitely have some work to do. So I would recommend to review tons of these losing hands to figure out why you're not winning with river seabets, right? Maybe you're bluffing way too often. Maybe you're just not value betting enough. And this sounds like it might be your issue, Jim. Um, if you're just not value betting and checking and check calling or just checking, letting your opponent check behind as well, instead of squeaking out an extra five or 10 big blinds of value, those go a long way. Just making a few extra value bets um, every so often, right? Maybe you are just betting on your hand strength and you're not considering your opponent's uh, range strength, right? So you said you do hand reading, but maybe you're really not doing it as much as you should. So the second thing I want you to do, Jim, and everyone else, commit to pulling the trigger with river value bets when you can name worse hands in his range that can call you. Start with the second best hand after yours. Does your opponent have this hand in his range? And if he does, can he call and give you value? Or is he just going to fold this second best hand? And lastly, or next, does he have uh, similarly weak hands in his range that he's going to call you with? Let's break this down with an example. Maybe you hold ace-king, and the board is ace-10-9-4-3. Ace-10-9-4-3, you have ace-king. Now, you bet for value on the flop and turn, like you said, Jim. Now, you got to ask yourself, okay, does my opponent have the second best hand? Does he have ace-queen in his range? And if he does, will he call? Also, ask yourself, well, does he have ace-jack in his range? Remember, you're also thinking about you're also thinking about similar and weaker hands. Does he have ace-jack? Does he have ace-eight? Can he call with pocket jacks on the ace 10, 9, 4, 3 board if he doesn't believe me. Even if he, you know, he's got to get to the river with pocket jacks after calling flop and turn, but can he call again with those pocket jacks, right? If he can have all of those hands and he's going to call your ace king with ace queen, ace jack, ace eight, pocket jacks, go ahead and make the C bet. But obviously, right, if you can't name any hands, if you think there's no way this opponent has ace queen right now and there's no way he's going to call me even if he does, then don't make that river value bet. And lastly, Jim, the third thing you need to do, and everybody else, continue doing hand-reading exercises during your studies, and then try to do it as you play. All right, question four comes to me in, uh, from Graham, and this is something I've never thought of before. Graham says, based on all the database reviews and coaching you've done, why do players have smaller winning sessions when they win compared to the size of their losing sessions when they lose? Is it a mental game issue? Is it a hallmark of a particular style of play or a common result from specific types of a leak or leaks? Even with a stop loss, it seems like I will lose three buy-ins in 100 to 200 hands when I'm losing, but will win one to two buy-ins in 400 hands when I'm winning. So positive um, big blind per 100 hand session is almost always smaller than the negative of a losing session. So, Graham, thank you so much for this question, and I've truly never looked at this for my students. 
no one's ever brought it to my attention. I've never thought about the size of winning sessions and the size of losing sessions. So I did a little dive into my own numbers here. In Poker Tracker 4, I filtered for sessions and um, I went through my results and my single worst losing session was 193.5 big blinds. My best winning session was positive 217.8. So my win um, uh, uh, exceeded my loss there. Now, my average session loss was negative 20 big blinds when I lost a session. My average session win was positive 27. So once again, my winnings exceeded my losses. Lastly, my average big blind loss per hour when I lost a session per hour was negative 62. My average big blinds won per hour for winning sessions, obviously, was positive 72. So once again, my wins outweighed all my losses. So everything that I looked at with my numbers were opposite to Graham's question. So it's never something I noticed for myself. No one's ever brought it to me. But here's the thing. My guess is it's mental game related. Anger and tilt causes you to lose, well, after you lose 100 big blinds, maybe you got sucked out on, you get angry, you want to win that money back, so you start targeting your opponent, you're going for vengeance, you're playing hands you shouldn't, you're getting way too aggressive in spots you normally wouldn't. So maybe that anger is leading to tilt and losing even more money. Um, And the funny thing about that is when you win money, you don't go on like the opposite of tilt. I mean, you could go on winner's tilt, but it's not like when you win money, all of a sudden your brain gets bigger and you start you start playing better and emotions fall by the wayside, right? Kind of weird how the anger leads to tilt and more losses and worse gameplay, but winning doesn't necessarily lead to more winning and better gameplay, you know? Um, but also one of the things I mentioned in a prior in, in a prior question, Graham, was probably strategy. And some of the strategies that might be causing you to have bigger losing sessions as opposed to winning is you can't find the fold when you know you're beat. Maybe you're calling just way too often pre-flop and post-flop with subpar hands and draws. And maybe if you couple that with failing to value bet enough, like Jim had said, right? If Jim is making too many calls and losing money when calling, but not getting enough value to offset those losses, that could lead to some of the things that you're talking about, Graham. All right, the final question. It's a second question from Graham once again. And I've kind of uh, changed his question right here. Uh, just, just to make it simpler for, for the podcast, but he basically asked, what's a better use of the 30 minutes I have for poker every day, maybe studying for 10 minutes and then playing for 20, or should I just do one or the other for the full 30 minutes? Should I just play and try to fit as many hands as I can? So it's Graham's basic question right here. Now, if you only have 30 minutes every day to do something poker related, it's really better to alternate between playing and studying if you only have that 30 minutes. So I recommend playing for two 30-minute sessions in a row, then you study for one 30-minute session. And this is going to make that uh, make it so that 33% of your, your poker time is going to be devoted to studying, and you're going to be improving those skills, learning new strategies and everything, because you're spending so much time studying. Here's an example of this for three days. Monday, 30 minutes of study. You watch 10 minutes of a training video, you take your notes, and you create one or two action steps. 
Then, whatever strategy you studied, go into your database of hands, review some hands, do a hand reading exercise, like basically look at your current or the way that you currently play your hands in relation to the strategy that you studied and work out if you're doing things right or wrong. Now, that was Monday, studying for 30 minutes. Tuesday and Wednesday, both of those days, you only have 30 minutes, so play for 30 minutes while you do your action step that you created from studying. The whole idea with studying is you're not just learning about a new strategy. The goal is to learn a strategy and then use it in-game. That's what you're doing Tuesday and Wednesday. You're focusing on using those strategies you learned on Monday. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks to the Poker Forge members who submitted those questions to me. This episode couldn't have happened without ya. So, speaking to the Poker Forge, right? Right now, better than Black Friday sale. This week, until midnight on November 12th, you can get 60% off an annual membership. That's a $360 savings. Holy cow, basically a full bankroll for a 10NL player. You have to get in on this. Go to thepokerforge.com right now. I guarantee my Black Friday, I'll tell you right now, Black Friday sale, the week of Thanksgiving, that's going to be 50% off the annual membership. You are missing out. If you just wait two weeks from now, you're going to miss out on a good $60 of savings. You might as well get in on it now. Start your studying now before the holidays even hit. Improve your skills. Start winning more money so that you got more money to spend on the family for Christmas, right? So to take me up on the Better Than Black Friday deal, go to thepokerforge.com right now and get annual membership 60% off.